take a moment and pray. Father, it is so good to be in your presence. And Lord, we ask as we are making ourselves, Lord, known to you, because you've already made yourself known to us, as we open our hearts, as we open our minds, we want to meet you in this moment, right now. So Father, that we could be changed, that we could be transformed, so that we could leave here different from the way that we came in because we met with you. So be with us now, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing a series we started last week on 1 John, and we're going to kind of take these snapshots through the theme of 1 John and what, first, what John is writing and what John is trying to convey, which is particularly to the church. The difference of 1 John, 2 John, 3 John is that they're epistles, they're letters that are written, and 1 John is more like a sermon than a letter as you read it. And as it goes out, it's being directed to the church at large, not to a specific church. So it's not as if Paul's writing to the church in Rome or Ephesus. It's, it's saying to the church. Now what we have to realize is that uh, these epistles, these letters were written really at the end. These are like the last letters to come into the New Testament. And he would have been roughly around 90 years old at the time when he would have written these things. And he's writing to a church that's in existence now for 50 years since Christ ascended into heaven. So this is some 50 years later, and you have churches that are growing and spreading throughout uh, all of the area of, of Jerusalem and, and uh, further where you have these home groups, these, these churches that are, are, are taking shape and people are, are beginning to come to the saving knowledge of who Christ is and growth is happening. But at the same time, what's happening within the church is false teaching. So John's writing to the church because there are those who are within the church that are leading people astray. And what he's dealing with is, is, is heresies in that false teaching. What he's dealing with is saying that you have to pay attention to this. And uh, last week I spoke about Gnosticism. And that was part of the problem with this teaching. That, that they were beginning to teach that the spirit and body were two separate things. So in other words, that the spirit's good, the body's bad. And the other justification is that if the body's bad, it doesn't count if I sin. So if I have that theology or that understanding, this is this is. Well, what I believe, then the sin or those things that I do are not me, it's the body, and the spirit's still good. And John's saying, whoa, hold on. And he begins to address that truth. He begins to remind the church of that truth. He begins to, to write to the church as a father loves the church, as an apostle, as a bishop, as a pastor. And he addresses them. And remember, John says to them, listen, church, I was an eyewitness. I was there. I was an eyewitness that Jesus wasn't some mystical figure. He wasn't a hologram. But he was living and breathing and the Son of God. John says, I was there. I'm a witness to this incarnation for it to be true. John says to the church, I've seen, I've heard, and I've touched, and the word of life is true, that the eternal, the immortal, the invincible, the pre-existent word became flesh and it dwelt among us. So in case you're wondering, in case you weren't certain, John's saying, I'm testifying to something that I was there for. This is not secondhand that I share this with you. This comes to you as the last living apostle that I was a witness there. And I saw these things. I heard these things. I touched and it was true. For us to truly know God, 
We have to know that incarnation is true. We have to know that truth in our life. So John writes to the church, and in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, he says this, My dear children, I'm writing to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. Verse 2. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the world. Because the truth is, sin separates us from God. But we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. We have one who stands in the gap before the Father. And he's addressing this. And what he's saying to the church is, listen, do not sin. What he's saying is that it's not a matter of you becoming sinless, because that's impossible. But it's a matter of you learning how to sin less. Get it? Hyphen. Sin less. That, 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 that this change would come upon you. Because sin will separate us from God. Now remember, he's writing to the church. He's writing to those who've confessed Jesus as Lord and professed that truth. And he's writing and addressing that, that, that you have to remain in that relationship and this is how you do it. And that don't let that sin separate you, but also reminding us you have an advocate who pleads the case before you, that, that God's righteous law pronounces us guilty. See, God's righteous law says you are guilty on all accounts, that we violated God's standards. We rejected his right to rule our lives and continue to sin even after coming to the knowledge of truth. Are you aware of that? And, and, he's, and the only punishment for such wickedness is the reality of an eternity separated from the love of God, which is an eternity in hell. And in case you didn't know that, as much as you might believe in heaven being real, so is hell. And they're both filled with sinners, by the way. But yet there's this advocate, and then we have to lay hold of this advocate. If we're going to understand something theologically about God, about the teachings of who Christ is and what he's done, the incarnation is essential. And Jesus being the advocate is the thing that transforms our life. See, but Jesus, who's our advocate, the atoning sacrifice for our sins and the sins of the world, Jesus stands in that gap, in that place. He's the advocate between our repentant hearts and the law. He's the one who stands in between. And if the blood of Jesus that has been applied to our lives through, through faith and the confession of him as, law, as Lord, that Jesus is pleading on our behalf, that Jesus goes before the Father, the righteous judge, and he comes before the Father, and it would sound something like this. He'd say, Father, I know that they denied and violated the commands that we have, and they should be guilty as charged. This would be the conversation Jesus is having with the Father, by the way. It's not my conversation. It's his conversation. I know they violated those commands. However, you said my sacrifice is a sufficient payment for their debt. That my righteousness was applied to their account when they trusted me for salvation and forgiveness. That... that I have paid the price so that they could be pronounced not guilty. He says, Father, there's no debt left for them to pay. 
that I'm the atoning sacrifice, that I gave up myself for them so that they can have an eternal life with you. Now when John addresses sin, and he brings it up often, and the confession of sin and the importance of that in his epistle when he's writing to the church, what he's telling us is that sin interrupts our fellowship with God, but sin cannot change our relationship with God. Because God's not going to love you anymore or any less. His love is constant. And if I had to clean my act up before I encountered that love, I wouldn't be here. But that constant love that's being poured out. See, sin creates a barrier, but confession restores our fellowship with God. That confession restores that relationship with God, and that relationship or that fellowship with God, that relationship then remains unbroken because of who he is. Now, there's four essentials of the Christian way of life that John's kind of laying out as we read 1 John. And he's telling the church, these are the essential things that you need to do to not begin to follow false teaching, to not waver, to not become sidetracked in your journey with that relationship with the Father. And this is what you have to do. First thing is fellowship with God. And fellowship with God is being in the right relationship with the Son. That's what fellowship with God is. That we're in this right relationship with the atoning sacrifice who is Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. And in 1 John 2, 1 through 2, he says, uh, I'm sorry, John 14, 6, he says this in his gospel of being in fellowship. Jesus said to Thomas, when when he was uncertain of where he was going to go, what was going to happen, Jesus says to Thomas, Thomas, stop freaking out. It's going to be okay. You know why it's going to be okay, Thomas? He says, because I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the what, church? Life. And no one, no one, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. That he calls us into this fellowship with God to be in this right relationship with God, but to be in that right relationship, we have to know who the Son is. That he is that way, that he is that truth, that he is that life. And John's reminding the church that it's only through him that we come to the Father. Fellowship or our communion with God, what it does is it, 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 it begins to bring us to this relationship that's exclusively through the sacrifice of what Jesus has done for us. That's the relationship based on what he's done. And we're called to walk in this incredible light. And we do this by having fellowship with God. Did you know you can't walk in the light if you're out of fellowship with God? That, that we begin to create that distance, but we come into that fellowship because of who his son is, because of Jesus' righteousness. And then we enter into a fellowship through the son with the father. And John says that you have to continue that fellowship. You have to continue to walk in that truth. The second thing he says is confession of sins is really important. And confession of sin, what it does is it purifies our unrighteousness. And we're purified in our unrighteousness based on the atoning sacrifice who is Jesus because he was the one without sin and righteous. So it's based on his righteousness that our unrighteousness can be purified. And John wants us to have this way of a life where we're sinning less. And we sin less as a result of having a life of confession. Of, of, of having that practice of confession in our life, of identifying those things. And I want to give you just four things that you could do when you look at confession and practicing some kind of confession in our life. 
for what that, that freedom will bring as a result of it. The first thing we do is we reach out. And when we reach out, we ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the sins that we have. That's a scary thought. Lord, would you send your spirit to reveal to me those sins in my life? Those things, Lord, that, that I cannot see, those things that I've done that I don't recognize. Because we know the things we've done. But if we ask him to allow his Holy Spirit in our life that way, he'll begin to, guess what he does? He does it. He begins, and he's not revealing it for condemnation. He's revealing it so that we could be free and walk in this light. So he reveals those things. So the first thing is we reach out. Second thing we do is we reach in. And we agree with God of those areas that the Holy Spirit has revealed to us in our life. That we own it. That's a novel thought. I own my responsibility. We own it. That, that, I did that, Lord, and you revealed that to me. And then the third thing we need to do is repent when that's brought to light. And repentance is when we confess our sins to God, when we bring those things to one another. We're revealing those things that are hidden in the darkness. Because here's what I'll tell you is what the enemy will do in your life is keep you to believe that you have to keep those things hidden so that he can continue to be the accuser of the brethren and keep you from that fellowship with God. That's what he wants to do. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. And there's nothing that you have done that God can't bring forgiveness to. And that's why we have to learn to practice this confession, that God reveals those things. Because the fourth thing that we do is we resolve. In other words, we determine a new course of direction. We say that I'm not going to be a slave to this any longer, but I'm going to begin to walk in this new direction as a result of not just bringing that confession, but of the absolution and the forgiveness that the Father will give to my life. That we're to practice. John says, look, as a people of God, practice this so that you won't be a slave to it. And I know that we think that we come to the Lord and there's this radical transformation that happened to me in my own life. That there was a moment that I encountered God's love in a way I'd never encountered it before. And you know what that love was? It was, it was a power of his atoning sacrifice, of his forgiveness for my sins. That's what I encountered. It wasn't like I heard a, a whisper of a voice, God saying, hey man, I like you. You're a pretty good guy. It wasn't anything like that. It was God's voice saying, I love you and I forgive you. I knew it was real. And I knew that, that, that he could remove those spots and blemishes. So I was transformed as a result of, of, of meeting him in that very moment by an invitation that was given to me that he desired this relationship with me so that I could begin to walk in the light in this relationship. So what happens is in that moment, there's this radical transformation, and you become this new creation. But even as that new creation, we continue to wrestle with our humanity, and we have sin that comes in our life, and we want to live our best life. It's going to be a confessed life. And that we're free from those very things. So that one time that we've come before the Lord and we laid those things down, of course he brought his mercy. Of course he brought his forgiveness. But then there's a continuing of desiring to walk in the fullness of his light and what he has in charge or what he has to bring into our lives. And we have to continue to practice reaching out, reaching in, that repentance to turn and then be in resolve to walk, to determine that course of direction in that new direction that he's calling us. The third thing that John tells him is obey what Jesus commands. Obey what he told you. 
And obeying what Jesus commands is the practice of our living faith. It's how we practice it. He says in 1 John 2, 3, now by this, we may be sure that we know him if we obey his commands. How do we be sure that we know him? If we obey his commands. How will we be sure to know him? If we obey his commands. Like you had me at the Jesus thing, the obedience thing, I'm done. Here we go. Now you want me to do stuff. I know, he does. And it's not so much doing stuff, but it's actually as a result of what Jesus commanded. And what he did was he said, look, I know it's complicated. There's a lot of laws that have been written, and I know that that's difficult. But, but in this new covenant that I make with you, here's what I want you to practice. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to love God, and I want you to love one another. Amen. Can you do that? <laughs> See, because if we can do that, everything else falls in place. That's where it all rests, is in those two places, of practicing that loving God, that practicing of loving one another. See, the evidence of our faith in God is demonstrated by our obedience towards him. That's the evidence of being touched by that love, of being transformed, that we're called to something greater. And it's how we respond. That's how we know that we are living in him in that response. He goes on to say that in John 1 John 2, 5. He says, but those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That we show our love completely, those who obey. We show our love completely, and this is how we know that we are living in him. As we have that evidence of who he is in our life. He says that we're to obey those things that he called us to do. So if we're going to practice obedience, the way that we practice obedience is through loving God and loving others. Then the rest falls into place. Then we begin to discover. The fourth thing is having right relationships. John says you've got to have the right relationships. And those right relationships having fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. So the first thing was that fellowship with God that only comes through the Son. And you have to know that. And then we have to confess those things and obey the things he's calling us to do. But fourth, really important, is that we're having that fellowship with one another, that right relationship with one another that he calls us to. And we cannot claim that we are walking in the light and hating one another. That we cannot do that. We cannot claim that and have hate for one another. And that begins in the church as well as we bring it into the world. Now, I, my mother's mother, my grandmother, who was, her name was Henrietta. And as a kid, you can't say Henrietta. That's too hard. Somewhere along the way, the word Penny came out, and she became Grandma Penny. And I was an adult still calling her Grandma Penny. <laughs> and she had all this wisdom, and we would go over and spend time with her. And as a kid, you say things, and you get corrected when you say them. And I guess I like the word hate a lot, so I would use the word hate. Oh, I hate when that. And she'd look at me and she'd say, we don't say hate. We don't use that word. Well, she had to correct us enough that that became a term that we used often and to this day in our house. Even when I see someone who said, ah, Grandma Penny said, don't say hate. Don't use that word hate. That we're not to bring that hatred for one another. We're to bring that love for one another. Amen. He doesn't say it's easy. It's going to be challenging. 
but we can't hate. And why can't we hate? Because we're called to love. Why are we called to love God, love one another? So that we can make the world jealous of what we have. That the world would look to the church and see this fellowship that's unlike any other fellowship as a result of that common love. So we can't act in that hate for one another, but that love for one another. It's only through that love for one another. It's through that love that we begin to walk in that light. And that light keeps us from stumbling. It keeps others from stumbling as well. See, our right relationship is to love, trust, and forgive one another. And we're in that right relationship with God. We're brought into this incredible fellowship with God and incredible fellowship with one another. That this community is different than other things in the world. See, we can't have fellowship in the world. I know we think we have fellowship in the world. But that term is really used for the church. It comes out of the word koinonia. It comes out of the word community. It, it says that there's something different that happens of those who gather together. And we go into the world and we have, we're called to have these relationships that are outside in this community to be that witness. But we go together. You're not calling friends who don't come to church saying, hey, you want to meet next Saturday for fellowship? We'll get together. And then the spirit starts to move in a certain way as you gather with those outside in the world, but it's the wrong spirit. It's a spirit you regret when you wake up the next morning because you had too many spirits. You forgot the holy part that's supposed to go in front of that word. Oh, we were in the spirit all right. But there's this sweet spirit, this sweet fellowship. The world can't have that. But the church does. That God grants the church a place where community happens, where that love for one another happens, and that fellowship is made known as a result of that love. It's something that we come to share with one another. And what we share is a love of God that unites us no matter where we are. And because of his love for us, because we recognize him as the atoning sacrifice, we come together and have something different than the world has. And John says, don't forget that right relationship with one another, to be in that fellowship with one another. It's something that brings you together that the world should be envious of because it's different than what the world has to offer. No longer do we have to be a slave to sin, but we have an advocate who is Jesus, who is our atoning sacrifice. John says, remember, fellowship with God through the Son. Remember, live a confessed life and, and put that before the Lord. Obey what Jesus commands and be in a right relationship with one another. And that's how we'll understand when he said the most important thing is love God and love people. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've demonstrated your love for us on a cross, that you conquered death once and for all, that you are the atoning sacrifice, that, Lord, we don't get what we deserve, but you stood in that gap and in that place for all eternity so that we could be reconciled to the Father. You did that. Maybe for some of us right now, we have that relationship, but we fell out of fellowship with the Lord. There's some stuff that maybe has gone on in your life, and you've allowed that to begin to separate you from the fellowship he's calling you to. Maybe you've been separated from the church in that fellowship as well. Maybe you're watching online, and, and, and the Lord right now wants you to come back into that place of fellowship. So we have to turn, whatever that might be in our life, and welcome that fellowship into our hearts. Welcome 
that right relationship back. Or maybe you're here for the first time and you don't have that relationship, that you have not begun in that place, but the love of God is moving in your life. And what you got to hear is that he loves you right where you are. And he calls you into a relationship with him and he has an eternal life that's promised by grace through faith that he gives to us. But we have to want it. So if you'd like to pray with me to know him and have that right relationship with him right now or renew that relationship with him right now, I just want you to pray after me. Just say, say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I thank you for dying on a cross for my sins. I open the door of my heart and I ask you to come in. Take control of my life and make me the person you want me to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you're in person here or you're watching online and you prayed with me, what you need to do is let someone know because we're committed to help you on that pathway of discipleship for you to find God's purpose and plan for your life for that to be lived out right now. So if you're online, you can let us know. If you're in person here, let us know and you can let a host know on your way out so we can walk alongside of you. Amen. Peace of the Lord be with you.